I wonder if you've ever had the talk with someone. You, you probably know the experience uh, quite well when someone says to you, we really need to talk. And you know that in this moment, a whole lot of things are going to be said that are really important and there's going to be a decision that has to be made with the talk. It's often common in dating. I was talking to a guy a few years ago and he was telling me about the talk he was going to have with his girlfriend, where they were at in the relationship. Sometimes that's a, shall we make this a lifelong thing? Sometimes that's a, maybe it's time to take a different direction. It's the talk. But the talk's not only in relationships. Parents are very good at having the talk with their children, aren't they? We've got something to tell you and we need to have the talk. Bosses sometimes give you the talk. You're not shaping up, or here's an important project for you to take on, or we're going to have to let you go. That's part of the talk. Doctors sometimes give you the talk. In all these circumstances, whether it's the doctor or the parent or the boss or whatever, one of the characteristics of these talks is that they're about something really serious. You've got to sit up, and you've got to take notice. And usually the talk is heralded with a warning. I need, to, I need to talk to you about something. I've got bad news. Please sit down. I've got news I want to tell you. Can you come around? Well, the passage we've just heard uh, read to us this morning from John chapter 5 is a great example of the talk. You see, when Jesus is getting down and serious and wants his followers to sit up and take notice, when he wants to say stuff that's really significant, that's life-changing, that's decision-making, he uses a particular phrase. And it's translated in our text this morning with the words, very truly I tell you. Uh, that tra- translates the ancient uh, uh, Aramaic words of amen, amen. To amen. You know how we say amen at the end of a prayer to say we agree with what we've just prayed? Sometimes Jesus would say amen, amen before he spoke to say, listen up, we're about to have the talk. And it's translated in our scriptures today as very truly I tell you. And whenever you come across that phrase in John's gospel, you can be sure that what is to follow is the talk and you won't be able to sit on the fence. When my doctor tells me I have a life-threatening illness, there's no middle ground. There's no chance to wriggle out. He's dead serious. When the boss comes and has the talk with you and you're about to get the sack That's it. You have to go and pack up your desk and walk out. Well, in this passage this morning, there's not one very truly I tell you, not two, but three in the space of ten verses. That's a sign to us that we're in for some serious stuff that Jesus has to say to us. You cannot ignore what is about to come. You can't pretend. You can't sit on the fence. This is going to require a decision from us. So let's look at the talk together. And it starts out like this in verse 19. Have a look with me. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Here's the big theme of the talk 
that Jesus gave on this particular day. And the idea behind the talk is like father, like son. Jesus is making a massive claim here. He says that his ministry, his actions depend on God the Father and are the same as God the Father's actions and words. The Son, the Lord Jesus, doesn't do anything off his own bat. He doesn't decide what to do independent of God the Father. He only does what he sees God the Father doing by his constant gazing. On him, As he looks at God's the, God the Father, he works out what he is to do. But that's not all. The second part of the verse says, but whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. That is, whatever God does, the Son does. Jesus does God's stuff. Now, my dad and I were very alike in lots of ways. He died uh, over 10 years ago now, but uh, I remember him very distinctly. Uh, he has the same build as he had the same build as me. We walked the same until my dad got sick and wasn't able to walk. My dad had pure white hair the day he died, and I'm working on that. I'm getting there very rapidly. Uh, we we uh, were irritated by the same things. We talked the same way. We liked the same music. We liked the same food. It was like father, like son. And in, more, and in a more perfect way, Jesus is saying the same thing about his relationship with his father. Like God the father, like God the son. Now that might sound all right uh, to our ears as we sit here this morning, but you have to put yourself back to when Jesus first said these things to get the full picture of, of what that meant. To say you were totally dependent on God was one thing, but to add to that, as Jesus did, that whatever God the Father did, Jesus the Son did also, is nothing short of an outrageous claim. God is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the judge of the whole world, the one who set the stars in the sky, who, won, who forgave sins, the one who gives life and takes it away. And everyone who Jesus was speaking about knew that that's what God the Father did. And is he saying that he is doing that? Surely not. Well, look at the next verse, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. The Father loves the Son. There's this intimate relationship between the two of them. God the Father reveals all that he's doing to Jesus the Son. And not just that. He says there's more. God the Father will do even greater things through this Jesus. Now, before we listen to what these greater things are in the next verses, I just want you to get this part of the talk. And we get it a little bit from the context of where this talk comes. Of course, the incident that has given rise to this speech of Jesus on this occasion was the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda that we heard about last week. 
The healing had taken place on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. And when the Jews heard that Jesus had healed someone on the Sabbath, they began to grumble. And Jesus responded to them uh, in verse 17, and it's a slightly curious response. Have a look. In verse 17, uh, in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, Jesus has just healed a man on the Sabbath day. And he defends what he has done by healing the man on the Sabbath, not by arguing that the Sabbath no longer needs to be kept the way it's always been kept, like Paul argues in his letter to the Colossians. He doesn't do it by arguing that acts of compassion should be allowed on the Sabbath day like he does in Luke chapter 14. But he does it by equating himself with God the Father. You see, since the first Sabbath after the creation of the world, God never rests. God doesn't take, God the Father doesn't take a Sabbath. He works every day to this very day. And Jesus says, I'm working just like him. His answer to them is, like father, like son. The son does the father's work. And he's making an amazing claim in this. That if you want to know God, then look at Jesus. If you want to know God the father, then father like son. If you want to know what the Father is like, how the Father acts, how the Father loves, what the Father does, then you need look no further than Jesus because he's the one and the same. We've seen this already in John's Gospel, haven't we? We've read through it. Jesus with the woman from Samaria in chapter 4. Jesus healing the official's son in Capernaum in chapter 4, verse 46. Jesus healing the sick man on the Sabbath. He's doing the things that only God can do. This means that in Jesus, God the Father has come down to us. God has shown his face. God, the God of the universe, has put on human clothes so that we can see him, so we can encounter him. That in itself is amazing. But in verse 20, the passage says that Jesus will do even greater things than the Father. Three things in particular. Life, judgment, and salvation. Let's look at each in turn. Jesus gives life. Look with me at verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life life to whom he is pleased to give it. Now, there would have been no uh, argument in the ancient world that God the Father raised the dead and gave people life, gave people their breath. God was the one who had the keys of death and life. But the real surprise here is that the Son shares that with him also. Verse 21 says, So also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. The role of Jesus the Son is to have mastery over life and death if he chooses. Now that's power, isn't it? 
Jesus is not to be trifled with. He's the one who can give life to whomever he chooses. Here is a man who has authority over your life and death and mine. We're only sitting here this morning because Jesus wants us to. He's giving us life. But have a look at the second thing. Verses 22 and 23 show us that Jesus judges. Verse 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has trusted all judgment to the Son, so that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. See, not only does the Father give to the Son the power over life and death, but he hands the responsibility of judgment over to him as well. In fact, so much so that the Father doesn't do this at all. He's delegated it entirely to the Son. Jesus is the judge of the whole world. So much so that if you want to honour God, if you want to acknowledge God, then you must honour and acknowledge the Son. And if you reject Jesus, you reject the God who sent him. Most Australians believe in God. Most Australians want to keep on God's side. But the radicalness of this claim is that if you want to keep on God's good side, you need to do business with Jesus. He's the one. He's the one that we have to take account of. Because the crux of the talk comes in verse 24 with Jesus bringing salvation. Verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Please notice that we've got the second very truly I tell you right here in this verse. To make sure we don't miss this point. Jesus wants you to know this critical information. Anyone who hears the words of Jesus and believes in God as a result has eternal life from now to all eternity. They won't come under the judgment but has gone from being dead to being alive. We saw a wonderful illustration of this this morning down at Bell Reef Beach, didn't we? Baptism is an amazing uh, symbol. Uh, Martin Luther used to call the sacraments the visible word. And what happened with Grace at the beach today was a sign when she went down into the water like dying, you can't live under there, and coming up to new life. She had had moved from death to life. And what Jesus is saying is, if you hear him today, even in this sermon, and you trust in God as a result of who Jesus is, and depend on God for your life, then you have access to this promise. You too move from death to life. The promise is that you will live forever. Even if your body dies, you go on living for all eternity. That's eternal life. And it starts right now. You cross over from death to life in that moment. And you won't come under judgment when Jesus comes on the last day. That's what verse 22 says. 
when he comes to judge the whole world, to hold it to hold it to account, you will not be condemned. You will not face judgment because you have believed in Jesus and have eternal life. Your will have passed from death to life. Now, basically, these three things are saying the same thing, aren't they? If you want to live for all eternity, if you want to escape the condemnation at the last judgment, if you want to move from death to life right here, right now, today, you can by putting your trust in Jesus. Because like father, like son, Like all examples of the talk, there's a decision point. The talk won't leave you sitting on the fence. A few years ago, I took my son on a bushwalk uh, on the Great Ocean Road in Victoria. The walk uh, traces along the beaches and up over the cliff tops, and you kind of follow along beside the Great Ocean Road. We walked and camped overnight and walked again the next day. Now, a couple of times uh, on that walk, uh, as you're walking along the route, you come to these big yellow signs and they, are, and they have written on them, decision point. And as you set out on that walk, you have to take the tide times with you because that decision point is to, to decide whether you walk along the rocks or whether you take the higher ground on the inland route. That's the decision point. And if the tide comes up too high, that it can wash across the rock platforms and wash you off to your death. It's a, it's a life and death decision point. And if the tide is coming up, you have to decide at that moment, am I going to risk this way or take the safe way along the top? If our text had a yellow sign, it would say, decision point. You see, Jesus is giving this talk for people to make a decision about him. The decision point is, you have to decide, are you going with Jesus' words or not? You see, like all instances of the talk, you can't be neutral about this. You have to decide that it's true or not true. Risk walking along the rocks with a rising tide. Risk facing your, de your own death without Jesus. Risk facing the day of judgment without Jesus. Risk losing your life forever. Or believe his words. Trust the Father who sent him. Have eternal life. Escape condemnation and judgment and move from death to life. And the question is, what are you doing with Jesus? Like Father, like Son, if you, what are you doing with God? What are you doing with Jesus? But before we make that decision, let's look briefly at the next part of the passage because it might help us with the decision. 
these verses increase the temperature on the decision point for our lives. Look with me at verse 25. It's another very truly I tell you. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. The third time, very truly I tell you, the time is right now. When Jesus spoke then as he speaks now, those who are dead will hear the voice of God's Son and will hear Jesus and will live. Grace has told us that, shown us that this morning of making that decision. Di's going to come up in a few minutes and she's going to declare before us that she has heard the voice of God and moved from death to life. Because God has given this life and death thing over to the Son. That's what verse 26 says. But more than that, he's handed handed over to the Son the role of being the judge of the whole world. We see that again in verse 27, don't we? Have a look. He has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. So that we come to the final rub in verses 28 and 29. Do not be amazed at this, Jesus says. For as time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. What Jesus is telling uh, the, the Jews on that day and us today is that a day is coming. A day is coming when everyone in the history of the world, dead or alive, will be resurrected from the dead and will face God in judgment. And there'll just be two groups. Those who profess faith in Christ, whose lives have been changed, that they do good works, and those who continue to live in their sins, doing evil. The first group will find life and the second group will find condemnation. There's no third group. Life or death, Jesus or not, it's as simple and as profound as that. Here's the decision point again that's before each one of us. The most important decision you'll ever make is a life and death decision, a major yellow sign in your life. Will you believe in Jesus and live Or will you turn aside and risk facing judgment on your own? We're Jesus' people in this place. We gather here Sunday by Sunday because we're Jesus' people. Most of the people in this room have made that decision for Jesus. Heard Jesus' words. Have believed in the one who sent him and have passed from death to life. And what this passage assures us of, as we gather here week by week, praising the name of Jesus, lifting him high, knowing that he is like the Father, is that it gives us a sure and certain hope for our lives. 
We can face the future because of him. No sin is unforgivable. No mistake is irretrievable. No tragedy undermines it. No secular government intent on marginalising Christians can harm us. No cancer diagnosis can rob you of true life. Because Jesus is everything. He has the keys to life and judgment and salvation. And we have moved from death to life. And on the day when he comes, we'll come out to the resurrection of life. That's why we sing our praises to him. That's why we rejoice in him. What joy, what security. But there may be some here today who've never made that decision. There may be some listening to us online who've never made that decision, who've been sitting on the fence about Jesus. But the thing about the talk is that once you've heard it, you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision about Jesus. And you might know today that you need to respond to the talk, to put your trust in him and find in him life the promise of eternal life. Very truly, I tell you, he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. If that's you, then please don't leave today with talking to Chris or to me about what that decision means.